This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have at this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is RJ Tellier, CEO and co-founder of Pattern89. Marketers spend a ton of time on audience development, on reach, on frequency. Everyone talks about journeys, but they don't talk about creative. What I saw was that there's a better way to create what images or videos or copy that you see and machine learning provides marketers with tools to allow them to do that like never before. So the big problem is how do we get more efficient at the creative process without asking marketers to act more like machines. What they want to do is understand if their idea is going to work or not. So marketers are kind of turning themselves into machines to try to compute that when we should say, hey, no, 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 human marketer, go create something else. You're the creator. You're the idea person. You're the idea machine. Machines can't come up with ideas. Let the machines simulate or validate what's going to work. And you, human, you do what humans can do best. This is RJ. He's been a B2B software entrepreneur for well over 15 years. He fulfilled various roles, ranging from strategist, director of product marketing, and VP of mobile products at Exact Target. He became the VP of messaging products at Salesforce, and he served as the VP of product management at Geofidia. He's recognized as one of the Indianapolis Business Journal's 40 Under 40. In 2016, he founded Pattern89. And with this company, he's on a mission to inspire creativity, to build something that will change marketing forever. Their strong belief is that AI will make brands, agencies, and marketers more creative and more human in an increasingly automated world. And this inspired me, and hence I invited RJ to my podcast. We explore what's broken in marketing, especially on the creative side. We discuss also how marketing is becoming more and more metric-driven, where we still make creative decisions based on gut feel, we also dig into what it takes to build a remarkable software business, creating software that's extremely sticky, software that people actually want to use. And by listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that very often stickiness of your application increases, not by building a better user interface to perform a task, but by making it actually magically happen. Secondly, how you can help your customers make a difference is by avoiding the highest paid person in the room to feel inclined to make a decision. Thirdly, 
But your future success and momentum can be hidden in killing your darlings, i.e. get rid of those things you're just hooked to. And fourthly, how a data co-op across your customers can shift from a nice-to-have into your primary selling point. So hi RJ, thank you for making the time today and be a guest on my podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, you're one of those entrepreneurs and, and software companies that I've been on the hunt for. I've been doing my podcast since the beginning of 2018 and it was always about, yeah, the drive was there to share the stories about the value that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And I think I found a case like that again with your company, Pattern89. But before we start talking about your company and how it all went, it came about when it started and so on, a little bit about you. If you would have to describe yourself with two or three keywords as a person or as an entrepreneur, what, what would those words be? Ooh, that's a good opening question. I would say I'm a family man because I'm married. I've got four kids and that's really important to me. And I think people, I would describe myself and I think people would describe me as just a hard worker. Uh, like tenacity, however you want to describe it, it's just, it's hard work. And I think creative is the other way. So family man, hard worker, tenacious, and then creative. Yeah, a couple of interesting topics. Already pointed to one out of that to come back on a little later. But I mean, there's a number of things that there's a pattern there with all the entrepreneurs that I've spoken so far. So there is in a, maybe I should write a book about it next time about kind of the key traits that underpin remarkable software businesses. <laughs> so, but talking a little bit about your company then, Pattern89, you, you founded that company in 2016. What was the big idea behind it? What was the problem that you saw that was crying for a solution like yours? Well, you know, I've worked in software now almost 20 years and always in marketing. And on the marketing side, marketers spend a ton of time on audience development, on reach, on frequency. Everyone talks about journeys, but they don't talk about creative. And marketers instead use testing to figure out what creative works or doesn't work. And what I saw was that there's a better way to create what images or videos or copy that you see and machine learning provides marketers with tools to allow them to do that like never before. So the big problem is how do we get more efficient at the creative process without asking marketers to act more like machines? And what I mean by that is marketers create these elaborate test schema. They do A-B tests or multivariate tests when they run them, they look for statistical certainty, et cetera, and they end up with these giant spreadsheets that a human has to create and do all this manual work. And really what they want to do is understand if their idea is going to work or not. So marketers are kind of turning themselves into machines to try to compute that when we should say, hey, no, 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 human marketer, go create something else. You're the creator. You're the idea person. You're the idea machine. Machines can't come up with ideas. Let the machines simulate or validate what's going to work and you human you do what humans can do best and so the idea was how can we predict creative performance using machine learning models and we built a data co-op to help answer that question with a giant data set and that's what we've been doing since 2016. Yeah I saw you on your website a couple of pretty famous names in the industry companies like Ogilvy and so on and so there must be something working here. Yes. (laughs) I completely agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I've not been in the marketing space, like marketing, I mean, it's an element of that. I've always been in the product marketing space, but, but still, you know, you end up with a value proposition and you want to test which one or what, what words or what 
Now, yeah, what's going to resonate? Yeah, I mean, we all have like an idea of what's going to work. And, you know, like a marketer might say, we care about, you know, we care about healthy living or something like that. You know, a marketer might say, well, we're a brand that's about healthy living. The question is, how do we represent healthy living in a piece of creative such that somebody actually wants to click on it? Is healthy living like a salad on a plate or is it someone who's running or is it someone who's meditating? What is the actually manifestation of that creative thought or that concept? And what Pattern 89 does or what marketers need is a way to validate that the execution of the idea will actually drive the conversions, the clicks, the downloads, the email signups, the metrics that they care about. And that disconnect between the creative idea or concept and the execution that exists is pretty wide because there's algorithms that Google and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and LinkedIn and all the platforms are using to prioritize content. And oftentimes we can come up and say like, hey, healthy living, we're going to come up with a great creative concept that just bombs on when we publish it out into the world. And it doesn't seem to make any sense. Well, it doesn't make sense to our human brains because an algorithm works different. So how can we decrypt algorithms to help marketers identify the ways to express their concepts or the ways of their ideas online? And so that's really the opportunity here. And, you know, I'm a creative person. I have a master's in creative writing. And, you know, it's a a little bit of a different background for a technology person. But the question is, how can we write better in creative writing? And if we had a template or a predictive algorithm that helped me to guide through the process in the same way that we built for pattern 89 for the, you know, creative visuals might use it, you know, it's a great tool to kind of to guide you there. So, yeah. Love to test myself. Yeah. So what is the opportunity if we get this right? If the marketing world starts to use this, what will change? Well, I think that what we're going to end up, we're already seeing it, you know, AI or artificial intelligence is the big buzzword in marketing. And we're just at the forefront of seeing how AI can help marketers. So, you know, just from a workflow process, the Marketing AI Institute predicts that 80% of what we do is going to be intelligently automated in the next three to five years. So I think we're just going to be shifting a lot of that mundane grunt work of analytics to the machines. And then that will then open up opportunities for humans to create even more wild ideas, exciting ideas, interesting ideas, differentiated ideas. So I think that work will be a lot more fun for creative people True. versus kind of like getting down the slog of all these like spreadsheets. And then two, I think that we'll see even more exciting campaign ideas and differentiation between brands as like the mark of a brand. And then, you know, from a financial standpoint, there's tons of opportunity out here. You know, in the U.S., it's, we calculate it to be an over $4 billion opportunity just in the U.S. So there's a giant opportunity to change the way that marketers create. And I think that's, that's a really exciting proposition. It's kind of a wild, big idea, but it's what really underpins what we're doing at Pattern 89. Okay, well, interesting. Have you got any examples of, of what you already see kind of as a first change in how we create? Well, yes. I think that there's examples all over the place. Like we can see brands creating content specific to like Snapchat or TikTok right now. So rather than creating a television commercial first, 
and then applying the same creative concepts across channels. Instead, they'll go TikTok first and they'll have some sort of wild or crazy dance or some sort of piece of content like that. And then they'll try to figure out how to apply it across channels. So I think that the mediums are really changing the way that we're working. We work with customers like Lids, the hatware people. Yep. They make hats for sports teams and they use our solution to predict which creative will actually drive the best performance. So when they're doing a photo shoot, they'll get a picture of a man wearing the, the ball cap, a woman wearing the ball cap, a man and a woman next to each other wearing the ball cap, a ball cap in dim lighting, a ball cap in great lighting, a ball cap in front of a stadium. And they'll get all these different shots and then run them through pattern 89 to predict which one will actually drive the best performance. Should we have the guy with a ball cap on a skateboard or should he be on a basketball court? Yeah. You know, these are all like executions of the idea that Lids wants to express. And so they can predict which ones will work rather than having to run them live. They can concentrate their time on creating differentiated shots and then use the platform to identify which ones will drive best performance at over 95% accuracy. Let me make a small interruption here. RJ just made an excellent remark about the pivotal moment for Pattern 89, when the realization came that their business was truly all about the outcome rather than the output. It didn't matter to make the QA and the test process cheaper, faster or easier. What mattered was telling the secret. Recognizing and then executing upon this is a trade remarkable software companies master. With this, they create new value possibilities and that drives desire to use the solution and in turn accelerates momentum. You can master these traits as well. I have two options for you to start. First of all, read or listen to my book The Remarkable Effect. You can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech entrepreneurs and CEOs like you, that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com. Back to the interview. So I think channel-specific content and then also kind of expressing creativity in all sorts of different ways and then understanding which of those will perform. We're already yeah, seeing. Yeah. You know, the other one, if I can just mention, which is not a customer we work with, but is, I don't know if you watched The Last Dance, that ESPN, there was a big ESPN documentary on Michael Jordan that came out in around March or April, and they used a solution technology called Deep Fakes to basically put current Kenny Mayne's face or a voice with old Kenny Mayne's face to make him look like he was promoting the commercial. And so we're seeing the application of deepfake technology used in kind of a white hat way, meaning like it's being used in a positive way rather than kind of a negative like conspiratorial way or whatever. I think that there's kind of some new techniques and technologies that are coming out that we're seeing that they're being applied by creatives, also AI-driven, and people change creative, and we're already seeing some of it today. Yeah. So, I mean, what is the impact that you create with the moment you know which one is going to perform best, and you can really tune that and almost, yeah, almost while you're doing, for example, the photo shoot, you can start to test these type of things. So what does that do to the response rate and the conversion rates? Yeah, I mean, on average, we see a 20% lift in terms of conversion. So it's worth it. The hard ROI is a really easy case to make to any customer because that 20% lift, if you can make your dollars go that much further with just a prediction, it's great. The second thing that there, I call it kind of the soft ROI, which is your creative team doesn't have to produce or concept, produce, QA, and launch 
bad creative anymore. True. And so you can just spend all of your time on the good creative. And if you know which ones are going to perform above your average, you just concentrate on those and you just leave the bad ideas on the cutting room floor. Yeah. There's also kind of a democratization of creative in this way as well, which oftentimes creative decisions are made by the boss or even the customer or the highest ranking person in the room. And it might be a bad idea. Simulate the idea or the execution of the idea and understand what the performance of it would be. Then suddenly the best idea wins, not the person with the best title or the person who gets paid the most. I think that that's, you know, that's another impact from a creative perspective. That's I think pretty exciting because we might even more new ideas that would have been not approved because they wouldn't be approved through our traditional kind of gut process. I see it all over the place. And it's not only with, with how things, the visualization, but also the words you use and that gives marketing such a bad name. So I like this. Yeah. So, I mean, this of course came from your, from your background. That was the aha moment. That's where, where things took off. So in that whole journey of creating the, the solution from, from 2016 onwards to the moment you, you launched, I'm always interested to understand what journey you went through in order to create something that, that has this remarkable impact, to do something that's transformative. What is the difference inside uh, Pattern 89? <laughs> well, you know, the big kind of turning point for Pattern 89 was when we moved from kind of our V1 product to our current product. When we went out to solve the problem that I was talking about is we built a gorgeous and really great working experimentation machine that would help marketers to create dozens or hundreds of versions of their creatives and then run them. And then, so it was a kind of a workflow tool that created lots of different versions of things and ran them at small spend levels to then identify what was going to drive the best performance. We found that customers loved that idea, but did not actually want to do it. And so we were selling a bunch of deals, but having trouble driving customer utilization because customers just want the result from the test. They didn't actually want to run the test. And along the way, we built up our predictive capabilities to predict the winner of the test. And so when we discovered that we could predict the winner, we stopped asking the customers to actually do the test. So we would say, hey, what are the test parameters? We'll tell you what the answer is going to be. And it was like, yes, that. We like that because it's a shortcut. It's a cheat. (laughs) It's a hack. And that's the way learning can help to kind of shortcut some of that grunt work because marketers don't want to set up a giant test. They just want the result from the test. Just like we want to be healthy, but we don't always want to go to the gym. Like I can tell you how to get healthy. Everybody knows you eat better and you go to the gym. It's like, but if you can just tell me the secret, like maybe it's a secret pill, I'll take the secret pill, you know? So in the same way, marketers just want the answer. And so the great news is we built the machine to predict the answer at over 95% accuracy. So that's what we shifted to. And it was a hard shift, I'll tell you that, because we spent over a year building and tuning the first version of the vision. And, you know, there's that phrase that you, they say, you have to like, you got to kill your darlings. Like you have to get rid of some of those things you're just hooked into, but we had to, and it was the right choice, but that was certainly a pivotal point in our journey. Yeah, that's interesting. And I've seen that as well. I see that, I've seen that a lot, but I see it continuously as well. That the moment you fall in love with your solution and the things that it does and how beautiful it does, and the customer yeah. just doesn't want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, or, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I have a paragraph in my book where I talk about yeah, just making it magically happen. And I think this is a good example of it. Those magical moments. 
I also have a chapter in my book where I talk about don't fix the, the gaps, create the peaks. I mean, your solution, your solution can, can be average. On, on, yeah, everybody's solution doesn't have to be fantastic all over the place, but the moment it has a number of those peaks where it really shines, these are the moments that people remember. Yes, and yeah, yeah, I mean, that aha moment, like, so I put it in and I get the outcome and I know it. It's, not, yeah. not, it's also, it, it shaves a lot of time out of the whole process. You got it. Time, money, energy, effort, you know, all of those things get kind of, we all get, we get them back. And so, you know, exactly. I, I describe it like we can be more human. We can generate ideas. We can think creatively and in big ways when we're not weighed down by all of, you know, like the Excel spreadsheets. And I love a good Excel spreadsheet. But yeah. Yeah. If I didn't have to calculate it, it just told me the answer. That'd be great. Yeah. Now it's about thinking about the outcome rather than the output. Yes. Exactly. The customer is interested in the outcome only. Uh, something else kind of went through my mind. I forgot about it. It will likely come back. Let me see. These were decisions that were really important for that. Actually, was it also the moment that, that, that created sort of a pivot point in terms of the adoption of your solution or your, your success momentum? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we measure the, of course, people who are logging into the platform, but we care about did they get an outcome? And we've seen an over 300% increase in our product utilization in the last 12 months. And time in the app has grown by about 75%. So, you know, we look at stickiness metrics, which is kind of the common way the customer or the SaaS platforms measure themselves. And we're seeing our stickiness metrics from a daily active, monthly active user really just really, really improve in a great way because we're providing more value. So, and then sales, of course, you know, sales, renewals, growth, that type of stuff all follows those things. So it's been really automatic from there. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the magic at the end behind uh, the book, The Remarkable Effect is describing that. But the moment you get those things right and people start talking about it and you get that adoption, yeah. the flow starts to turn. And yeah, fantastic. Yeah. We talked about that. In that whole process, were there any, and maybe it was the surprising byproduct, but were there any other surprising byproducts that you didn't see coming or expected? You know, one of the surprising byproducts is... We built up this data model, and now we have over 1,500 brands in a data co-op. And I wish that I would have said, oh, the data co-op is the idea from the beginning, but it's been, now it's like our, our primary selling point, and we're publishing monthly creative forecasts that identify what are the dimensions that are driving up performance or driving down. So you might see like certain colors trending up or trending down or certain dimensions like, you know, and of course we're all living in this COVID land. We know that, for example, the images of people touching, kissing, hugging, being intimate has decreased by about 50% in, in social land on Facebook and Instagram. Meanwhile, the advertisers spend on ads that have people with masks on has actually increased by 212% water imagery, like clean imagery, people uh, things and people washing their hands or washing their arms, like their own, like in, has increased by 600%. Nature, outdoors, camping, you know, being outside, those things are really on their way up. So it's interesting, like the interesting surprise here was that how valuable the data co-op is and was to our business. It's kind of like, you know, things happen gradually then all at once or whatever that phrase is you know it's like they happen bit by bit and then all at once it yeah. was kind of those moments right like, whoa we've got all this creative insight into a representative sample of how humans interact with content digitally yeah, and exactly. we can identify week over week month over month trends 
and forecast into the future what it is that people are going to click on. And that's been fun from a creative point of view. So we can understand things like color, what image dimensions, video dimensions, you know, whether dogs should be in your ads or cats or people with masks on or other cultural things. So that's been like a really good surprise, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. So when you started selling this, kind of a typical thing that I hear from the people that are on my podcast is, okay, we are creating something that has not been done before. So it's radically new. And I actually, one of the, I mean, one, one recent guest that I can recall is Scott Sandlin from Cyrano, who actually created the product. And he had to park that product and shelf it for at least two, three years because it was so far ahead of the market. People were shocked by it and, and didn't believe it could be true, and, but also didn't want to adjust to that, although yeah. it was a far better outcome than you could have today. So what have you learned selling this? What techniques have you used? Well, I mean, I think that there is a little bit of that. Like everybody knows that artificial intelligence and machine learning are going to help us or change things. And a lot of customers don't, can't quite understand how it is that their workflow would be impacted or that we could actually predict the outcome. And so what we've had to do is really move to offering free trials. And we offer a seven-day free trial so you can kind of see what it is that the platform can provide you. And... During that free trial, they kind of test it out. But then we also understand, is the organization ready to adopt machine learning or not? And, you know, both are important. Like, are they ready to do it? If so, then we can help them if they're not. Or if there's individuals in the company, but not the company as a whole, that can also be a challenge. So that's been a big win, like making sure that we have kind of a trial period because we're going to invest a lot of time and energy and people into you know, building a relationship and workflows and that type of stuff. Yeah. And kind of doing like a seven day get to know you on both sides has been a good, good way to kind of identify those kinks before they get yeah. it. Although seven days still short. But what, what intrigues me, because for example, when I speak to well, people on my tribe, like Cindy Gordon, the CEO of, of Sales Choice, she's always talking about, are you data ready? Are you ready for AI machine learning? But it typically has to do with the quality of the data, the volume of the data, Yep. Is that the same case in your, in your situation? That's- the good news is it's not the same case. And no. because we have a two-click setup process. So if you have a Facebook or Instagram or even a Google account, we can just connect directly into that account. And our data tables and structures are aligned with those platforms. So you don't have to like go through and do a big data cleaning or anything like that. We can just connect directly to those platforms and sync and then provide you with predictions immediately. So one of the challenges that we knew that we were to go up against is the data challenge. Data is everywhere, et cetera, but we can really, we've shortcut that by just making it a quick two-step process that takes less than a minute to connect. So okay, yeah. um, instead, we think there's like kind of a creative workflow readiness issue, uh-huh. like creative workflow ready for ingesting ideas that are outliers, like things that you've never tried, but we're, they're predicted to perform. So a good example of that is we worked with, we did a pilot with a women's, famous women's brand, and the machine predicted that including men in their creative would drive performance up. And we unfortunately didn't win the deal, but the feedback from the customer was like, well, your algorithm doesn't work. And I was like, well, tell me more about that. And she's like, well, it kept telling us to put men in the ads. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, it's predicted to perform at over 95% accuracy. Did you test it? And she's like, no, 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 we won't. That will never get approved. We're not going to do that. And I was like, oh, okay, well, 
she's like, so your algorithm doesn't work. I'm like, well, it does work. It's accurate, but you don't agree. And because you've only shown women in your ads in the past. So like there's sort of this disconnect between like, what is the machine telling you that is actually accurate and predictive versus what you're acceptable. And like, that's actually an interesting thing because humans need to understand what their brand's about and what represents their brand from an ethical and an empathetic point of view. And so she's right. You know, she's right because she owns the brand and she understands or that customer understands what they want their brand to reflect, but could they have gotten better performance? Yes. But she's sacrificing some of the performance for, for brand in that case. And that's a fair thing to do. So it's like, are you ready to identify creative, you know, outliers and patterns that we can take advantage of or are you going to, you know, uphold brand higher there. And that's, what are your boundaries? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, you could, you could still optimize by having just photos like that or, or content like that, but then optimize within that data set or within that, that creative set. Totally. I, yeah. I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. I was going to say the one thing that is interesting, the same humanness there also makes ethical decisions. So like the machine can predict things, and we've done our best to be responsible in the way that the AI can predict, but there are still questions that machines can't answer around like, like race or gender or body size, those types of things that, the, that humans have to get in there and say, all right, yes, we're going to make an ethical choice to run this creative or not. The machine can't understand all of the sensitivity. That's a good thing. Yeah. You know, there might be a creative opportunity that's not appropriate or ethical that the machine has doesn't know yet. So, and again, we've done our best to program out some of that response, like from a responsible AI perspective, but it's, I think, a human task right now. Yeah, I can understand that. You know, there's always going to be outliers or people think that's going to perform better, but you have to make the choices on that. And that has to do with so many other variables. What's always interesting me on your journey as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, what has been an obstacle that you had to overcome on the journey to make Pattern 89 so successful? You know, I think, let's see, an obstacle. I mean, there have been like every day is full of obstacles, right? <laughs> the, the overall, you know, just the entrepreneurial journey. As I think about an obstacle, I think that it's kind of what we've been talking about, which is mm-hmm. creativity and creative is a very human thing. And how do we convince a human that a machine can assist them in creative processes? True. And so we've done a number of different tactics to do that. One is like trials. We do assessments where we just run our AI across an account and show you the top and the bottom performers and why. So what are the dimensions within it? We've created some games that are online. One of them is the robotslayer.com. And on Robot Slayer, you as a human try to beat the robot. And there are things that humans can identify like that machines can't. And then there's things that machines can do that humans can't. So like a great example is computer vision, which is the way that a machine sees, can't tell the difference between a Dalmatian and cookies and cream ice cream. Or a machine can't accurately determine the difference between like a fluffy golden doodle dog and fried chicken because it has the same characteristics from the way that a machine can see it. But like we as humans can see that. So it's like, how do we use our human capabilities in the eyesight and the brain to make choices. But then like machines can accurately identify 3000 different species of animals. I can't do that. 
like different types of frogs and different types of fish and coral and stuff like that. And, you know, machines can identify cancer better than an x-ray technician now. So that's kind of nuts. So it's a good point that you made. I was just going to talk about that because in a number of cases, maybe it's even the majority of the cases, it's not either or. I mean, typically... Like a machine can do far better in, in, well, faster testing of cancer cells. Yes. Of recognizing them. And there might be a, a 2 or 3% difference between what a human can do or what a machine can do. But yeah. combining them, that's where you get, yeah. You got extra. it. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of in, you know, the next three to five years is going to be this interesting yeah. shift from, you know, as we identify ways to adopt AI to make us better in a bunch of different ways. So it's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so what I think that's where the exponential effect comes in. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, talk, well, kind of turning the question upside down from the obstacle, like what has been a, what is your biggest business regret on your journey? What would you like to have done that, that at the end you didn't do? <laughs> Ooh, that, these are good questions. Business regret. I guess, you know, I was 37 when I started this business and... It's not really regarding pattern 89, but I was 37 when I started the business and I thought, man, I've got married, I've got a mortgage, I've got three kids. And I thought, if I don't do it now, then like, when is the time that I'm going to do it, you know? And since we've had a fourth kid and still have a mortgage and I wish I would have just started a business when I first thought I should have, which is right when I graduated from college, I wanted to start a business. I didn't know what business I was going to start. I didn't know how I was going to get it funded. I didn't know any of these things. But like the same was true at 37. I had some ideas and I started talking about those ideas. And then I had some investors who were interested in those ideas. And my number one idea was pattern 89. But, you know, when I was 22, I had ideas and I had a top idea, you know. So it's like I wish I would have started earlier. And, you know, we all go on the journey that we're on. So I'm glad that I did what I did. But that's you know, if there's any regret, why not just start earlier? Because you figure it out along the way. Exactly. It's a common one. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of the time, well, not a regret. I mean, I, we, we just did it when we moved to Spain. It was like, okay, it's now or never. Now go do it. Start. Yeah. So what are you most proud of achieving so far? Are there any anecdotes from customers that you keep talking about? It's not on the customer side, but it's more on the people side of our company. We, When we first started Pattern 89, it was really important to me based on my previous experience to have some core values that we live into and we established those five core values and we have recruited people who also believe in those core values and we've executed our business in a way that represents those core values and they haven't changed and it's you know in the world that we live in now where I don't know I'm actually especially proud that we build a business with integrity you know, we, our first core value is to do what's in the best interest of the team. And that means like doing what's in the best interest of ourselves, of our families, of our customers, of our investors. And you just have to balance all those things. And like, it's one of the ways we make decisions. And we have another one that's especially important now in the, in this day and age, which is to build a company that represents the country. And, you know, in the U S we've got some pretty big social problems that are um, affecting us. And we have built a company that is, you know, in the Midwest, in the U.S., and in technology that represents the country in terms of we have a 50-50 gender split. Our diversity matches the country. And we continue to be recruiting and know people that regard us as a place to work because of those types of core values. And, you know, we're in a business to make money and we want to build a, company but 
we need to do it in a certain way. And so I'm actually most proud of that. Very good. So, yeah. Yeah, you see sometimes, of course, there are values being created and they're written down somewhere, put into a file, and, and no one looks at them again. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we literally, right after this, I've got our team meeting, and in our team meeting, we repeat them and just remind them and show, remind the, remind the team of them, and then typically have an example for each of them that was a good one. We have another okay. board of transparency talk about hard conversations we've had either with each other or customers. So anyway, those core values, I'm definitely proud of those. Exactly. Yeah. And that's how you kind of make them top of mind. So yeah, I mean, there's the question then about your view about what it requires. What is the secret behind building a remarkable software business? What do you believe is a secret? I believe it's iteration. Okay. And that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> I worked for about 15 years in tech as a product manager or product owner. And you, in that job, it's your responsibility to own the customer. You need to be talking to a customer a day at least, and then iterating and trying new things and measuring and figuring out what that customer wants. And yeah. in our you know, AI space, it's just about iteration. And iteration is about getting it wrong over and over and over and over, and then you get it right. And then you iterate some more. Like that takes a certain amount of kind of gut and tenacity and willpower and creativity. And that's what I think is the secret. I wish it was, hey, let's use a cool technology. I have this like brilliant technology idea. Let's just do it. But, you know, the average SaaS company takes 12 years from inception to go public if it goes public. And so it's not an overnight success. It's iteration daily. Iteration, yeah. 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 So I, that's what it is. And keeping that North Star where you, where you really, yeah, the kind of the, the big idea that you want to solve rather than uh, shifting and shifting and shifting. Very good. So, yeah, I mean, what is next for you? Where do you want to take Pattern 89 in the next 12 to 24 months? Well, you know, we, we believe Pattern 89 is really guiding the future of creative. And it's a big, big vision. But, the, you know, the future of creative means that we're going to be predicting rather than testing we're going to be using AI-driven tools to create in addition to human. And we're going to be integrated across the whole creative spectrum from ideation to creation to publishing and measurement. And, you know, in the next 12 to 18 months, we're going to be advancing that by expanding the number of channels we support, as well as becoming the go-to tool for marketers who are looking to pre-validate ideas that they want to get out and market. So, we're expanding on the engineering and data science teams as well as on the sales front to go and achieve that mission. So we got a big love it. To it. Yeah. It'll be fun. Yeah, that's in guiding the future of creative. I mean, that's not like such a nice goal, stretch goal that, that will always give you new inspiration. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. To, exactly. to go left and right. Perfect. So where can people go to find out more about your company and to connect with you to say hi? Sure. Well, we're at pattern89.com. You can go there and learn about Pattern 89. I'm just rj at pattern89.com if you want to get in touch. So I'd love to hear from anybody who shares vision or maybe who opposes it. I'd love to know that too, because you know we're trying to figure out the best way to solve this problem. So yeah, those are the best ways to learn more and to reach me. Perfect. Well, this sums it all up. People know where to go. I was impressed with what you're doing. I'm glad I invited you to the podcast. I like the boldness of what you do. I like your approach, well, to running the business to, and to creating value. So thanks for that. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. And this ends my conversation with RJ. I hope you enjoyed it. If so, please leave your review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, 
please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to RJ Tellier, CEO and founder of Pattern89. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come through. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.